I've heard things you people wouldn't believe. Dave Pratt walking out of the radio booth over an argument about poker. Bob the Moj Marjanovic getting pissed at listeners during the crossover for calling him racist because he doesn't like P.K. Subban. I watched guys named Gord and Randy text the 1040 inbox as they drove across the Lionsgate Bridge to call J.D. Burke a cuck and a f*** for saying women are people. All those moments will be lost in time like tears in rain. Time to pod. Hey everybody, it's just me, coming at you with an emergency solo pod about the layoffs that happened today at TSN 1040. Um, We were supposed to have a regular episode this week, but scheduling conflicts, etc., etc., time just kind of got away from us, so you're going to get this instead, and we'll resume our regular scheduled programming to start of next week. But um, I wanted to get my thoughts out about this piece of news. Now, uh, while the wound was still fresh, I guess, so to speak, because I worry a little bit about timeliness. And then also, we have a guest this weekend. And... I don't want to take time away from them and what they're comfortable and qualified to talk about to devote, you know, an hour to to this possibly depending on, you know, how much there is to say. So, I just thought I would kind of go off the dome here with my thoughts on what happened and my sort of takeaways from it and hopefully it's not too long. And everything I say is relevant. Should be easier to collect my thoughts without Vias here to ask while I'm in the middle of trying to make a salient point. You know, like, is Bell called Bell because the receiver on a telephone is shaped like a bell or something like that? Um, should hopefully be able to hold on to my train of thought a little bit better than I usually do. So, first of all, Uh, For those of you who are not aware, for our out-of-market listeners, uh, TSN 1040 has been the pretty much the home of, and I, you know, their their uh, ad drops (laughs) uh, would say as much. uh, Pretty much the home of Vancouver sports for the past 17 years, I believe, and much of the staff at 1040 today, got to find out when they went to work that their station didn't exist anymore. Some with almost no notice. Some uh, actually got to find out through social media. And others, uh, according to Paul Chapman, who uh, works at the Vancouver Sun, were told there would be an exit message going on air, and we're also told that corporate security would be implementing the shutdown process in the next 30 minutes. And so if they had anything personal to retrieve, they should do it as fast as possible. So this is a real nice way to find out that uh, your livelihood is gone for a lot of these people. Um, 
and obviously, you know, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more later, my thoughts on that. But um, first of all, I just want to say uh, that my heart goes out to all the employees at TSN 1040. A lot of these guys, I suspect, are going to land on their feet. Your Blake Prices, your Matt Sakaris, uh, you know, Jeff Patterson. The big-time guys will probably be fine. That doesn't mean that today is any easier. But the people who my heart really goes out to, the people who I really feel bad for, are the guys who produce on weekends and are skip-the-dishes drivers the rest of the time. Uh people who are starting out, people who are chasing dreams, um, people who really, really rely on this income and got absolutely no heads up that they were going to be unemployed starting today. Um, It's terrible. Obviously, I also feel terrible for the listeners. Um, You know, I have... A lot of really formative memories, particularly of um, the era when they were still called the team of, you know, driving through the lower mainland with my dad, listening to Pratt and Taylor uh, argue about like whether Michael Jackson or the Eagles were better and getting insanely pissed about it. Um, You know, for all of the japing that we do on this show the talent there was undeniable and it's going to be missed i guess my plan here is to talk a little bit about how this happened why people should be pissed about it and then get a little bit into bell as a company and their uh just completely fraudulent pr stunt uh charity campaign for mental health, and then to finish off with a little personal story um, that I think is relevant given the the circumstances. It is a mental health story and also a TSN story. So hopefully, some of you find uh, meaning in what I have to say. So I guess the first thing I want to get to here is the profitability question, because something that has come up over and over again in the moments since the news was announced is that 1040 was, by all accounts, a very popular, well, I mean, I know it was an incredibly popular station, and there is no question to me that it was financially solvent. But the problem is that solvency is not enough. And when Wade Oosterman says that uh, switching to stand-up comedy is a better model for Bell Media going forward, he's probably correct. Because really the issue from their perspective isn't that sports media isn't profitable or that um, there was no money or insufficient money to be made marketing a sports radio station in the third biggest sports market in Canada. Uh, The issue is really all those pesky employees that you have to pay. Because even though I suspect, you know, 
the Laugh Factory comedy radio hour hosted by Michael Richards um, will probably not be as popular as programming in Vancouver as 1040 was. It is a hell of a lot cheaper to pay one guy to press a button on an iPad in Toronto than it is to hire an entire radio station's worth of personnel. And so when people lean on the fact that TSN 1040 was popular and that a lot of people listened to it and that it was profitable, I think they're kind of missing the point. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining the massive upward transfer of wealth that the pandemic has accelerated. Uh, you can read most of the writings of Marx and Engels uh, for free on Marxists.org, so I'll spare you that. But the reality is that this is what happens in a world where the people who make the decisions about people's livelihoods are A, completely disconnected from those people, and B, are only incentivized to think about their own bottom line and their shareholders and not the people who work for them. It's frustrating because this is the kind of thing that we're always told shouldn't happen. Profitable, well-liked enterprises are not supposed to fold just because the Jim Spanfellers and Wade Ostermans of the world decide that it's easier and cheaper for them to punt on entire local markets or like well-cultivated online markets. But it's not particularly surprising if you have been paying attention. It is worth noting that in the early days of, or the earlier days, I guess, of the COVID-19 pandemic, Bell accepted somewhere in the neighborhood of about $122 million in wage subsidies from the Canadian federal government. Those wage subsidies were then used to line the pockets of their shareholders, and now we are where we are. So just, I guess, keep this in mind whenever you hear someone talk about an ambitious social program and ask how we're going to pay for it. And, you know, just remember that that money is always there for Bell or for Jim Pattison or for Francesco Aquilini. <laughs> it's just not there for you when you need it. Obviously, people are very quick to point out the irony, I suppose, of a move like this coming in pretty much the immediate aftermath of the Bell Let's Talk campaign. I would stop short of calling it hypocrisy because both that campaign and these layoffs both serve the same purpose, which is to increase the profitability of the enterprise. Um, and they've both been very effective at those things. But, um, you know, it is frustrating, to say the least, because part of the reason we are living through a mental health crisis is precisely because of the fact that we have offloaded 
the responsibility for mental health to the private sector. And Bell Media very clearly does not have the solutions to these problems. And if anything, actively contributes to making it worse. And obviously the layoffs are the most significant thing we can point to of recent vintage, but I did want to highlight a story from a few years ago that some of you may be aware of, but others may not have heard about, about how they actually handle mental health within their own uh, organization. So this is an article that I'm going to read from, from November 25th, 2017 by Erica Johnson. It's published in CBC News. It's titled, Bell Let's Talk Campaign Rings Hollow for Employees Suffering Panic Attacks, Vomiting, and Anxiety. Um, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then I will probably just cut out anything that uh, doesn't feel particularly relevant. So sorry to just read this entire article because I don't have anyone to make snide comments uh, while I'm talking about it, but uh, hopefully I won't spend too long on it. Current and former Bell employees have written CBC's Go Public to describe the toll that aggressive sales targets have had on their health at a company well known for its Let's Talk campaign, a massive initiative to improve mental health. More than 600 people contacted the CBC after the investigation was published earlier this week. In email after email, current and former employees described panic attacks in the workplace, stress-induced vomiting, and diarrhea. Some reported crying before starting call center shifts and said taking stress leave is common. And although many of the employees applaud Bell's mental health program, they say it's ironic that so many of the company's employees are suffering physically and mentally from pressure created by the top down. One employee even filed a human rights com complaint this week, alleging Bell didn't accommodate her disability. She says it eventually led to so much stress that she is on medical leave. I was on the verge of panic attacks, just overwhelmed, Jessica Bellavo, who worked for three years at a call center in Moncton, New Brunswick, said in an interview. I was so stressed out that I'd be vomiting and having diarrhea at the same time. I ended up getting ulcers, she said. Bellavo says sales were based on the number of workdays in a month, but if she had the flu and had to miss work, her targets wouldn't be adjusted. She quit two weeks ago despite fear of unemployment. It makes you nervous because here in the Maritimes, it's rough, Bellavo says. Things are very expensive. The economy is not that great here. A Bell Mobility sales manager who is on stress leave says the pressure to meet sales targets was so intense that he lost 40 pounds in a few months. CBC is not identifying him or several others because they fear speaking out will affect their employment. This is a theme that's going to come up later, by the way. I had sales targets that kept going up, the sales manager says, but I had no idea where they came from. It was so stressful, I was throwing up blood. My manager sent emails at 2 a.m. comparing my sales stats to the rest of the company, he says. Or he would call me at 3 in the morning to ask why I was off my sales targets. It was relentless. It upsets me that Bell makes such a big deal about mental health awareness and takes a lot of credit for bringing that awareness to the general public, he says. Dan Breffitt, a former employee who managed projects for Ottawa's Bell Business Markets team, says the stress of dealing with an ever-growing workload contributed to an anxiety attack that sent him to hospital last fall. I had severe anxiety and depression, he says. There wasn't an hour in the day where I wasn't worrying about how I was going to meet all the expectations at work. He says he raised the stresses of the job with upper management after he returned to work last spring, but nothing happened. They have the Let's Talk initiative, he says, but Bell doesn't walk the talk. 
Braffitt quit earlier this month after having to take another stress leave in August. Bell's Let's Talk campaign is the largest corporate initiative in the country dedicated to mental health. Each year, the company chooses one day to dedicate five cents per customer call, text, tweet, Facebook video view, Snapchat, geofilter, or Instagram post. Since its inception seven years ago, the campaign has raised more than $86 million and supported more than 400 community organizations dedicated to helping people living with mental illness. The company's website says the program was launched after recognizing that mental illness was a national health concern with a lingering stigma. Stressed out Bell employees say Let's Talk campaign ads like these are infuriating. Despite Bell's public commitment to improving mental health, past and present Bell employees describe toxic workplace environments to go public. A former sales rep from a Montreal call center writes, The second I told my doctor that I worked at Bell after she heard the symptoms, she did not hesitate to prescribe a leave. Doctors everywhere are apparently well aware of what I call the Bell effect. A manager at an S&P data call center con contracted by Bell in Hamilton says customer service reps regularly broke down crying at work. I was the bad guy telling them to sell or they're out, he told GoPublic in an interview, because if they don't hit their numbers, my manager comes down on me and I'm not going to have a job. This week, Bell Call Center employee Andrea Rizzo filed a complaint with the Canadian Human Rights Commission claiming discrimination because of a disability. Rizzo was featured in an earlier Go Public story as the first Bell employee to speak out about aggressive sales targets. Several years ago, she noticed her right wrist becoming more and more painful. She was eventually diagnosed with a painful repetitive strain injury, carpal tunnel syndrome. In her complaint to the CHRC, Rizzo says that despite two doctors recommending reduced targets, which were temporarily lowered, they went back up again in December 2016. I was still experiencing significant pain because of my disability, writes Rizzo. I did not hit my target. I was simply unable to. Bell has put her on a performance improvement plan, which could lead to her termination. Rizzo says the stress caused her to go on medical leave. Toronto human rights lawyer Wade Poziomka, Rizzo's lawyer, says Bell is discriminating against a disabled employee. It's holding a disabled employee to the same standard as all other employees and not taking into consideration the fact that they do have a disability, he says. He also takes issue with Bell expecting people to hit their targets even when they miss time from work due to sickness. If somebody's off because of a cold or a flu, the right thing to do from an employer who cares about their employees is to take that into consideration and reduce their targets. That's what is morally and ethically fair. In New Brunswick, Bellavo is wondering how she'll pay bills now that she has quit the call center. But that's a stress she says she can cope with. My morals are more important than my paycheck. So I don't want to spend too much time talking about Let's Talk, but the one thing that I'm going to say is that mental health, particularly depression, is not just about brain chemistry. A lot of the time, depression is a fairly rational response to stressful, traumatic, or untenable material circumstances. And so to say, let's talk about it, we're here for you, end the stigma, is not particularly helpful to people if their lives are miserable. And I'm going to get a little bit more into this when I tell my story. So I'll just leave it at that. But um, frankly, I'm sick and tired of people talking like stigma is the biggest issue that we have to 
overcome when it comes to fixing the mental health crisis in this country. And if we look at the figure that was cited in that article, which is a few years old now, they said that Bell has raised somewhere in the neighborhood of $80 million for mental health initiatives. I imagine that number is higher now since it's been four more years. But you can contrast that with the $122 million that they got in wage subsidies and, you know, just ask yourself if this is really uh, the most efficient or best way to be tackling people's mental health. And as frustrating as that figure is, it is a drop in the bucket in comparison to the roughly $54 billion that has been estimated to have been given out in wage subsidies in total, which uh, ironically, we're supposed to protect jobs. Um, but you know, when you just give a big company a bunch of money with no questions asked and no strings attached, uh, turns out they might just use that money to, you know, give their CEOs bonuses and not actually protect any jobs who could have seen this coming. Um, but that's $54 billion to your boss so that you can go back to work when you probably shouldn't even be fucking at work anyways, uh, given the fact that there is a once in a century global pandemic happening right now and a virus that can kill you. For context, even conservative outlets like the Fraser Institute estimate that a national pharmacare program would cost about $3.5 billion a year. And that would make all the medication, all the psychiatric medication that you have to take because life is so fucking miserable, free at the point of service. So once again, I look at these things and I think to myself, the problem is not that we can't pay for it. The problem is who has their hands near the levers of levers of power and what they want to pay for and where they want money to go. And like I said... There is money there for your boss when he needs it. It's just not there for you. So as ugly as this thing is, it's not particularly rare. And it's symptomatic of what I would consider to be a problem that is widespread in Canadian media, but that I am not super duper qualified to talk about. So uh, I do just want to read from this uh, this perfect little thread by... Reina Duris, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, at Rara Reina on Twitter, who talked about the Bell layoffs um, and the gutting of Canadian media and kind of lays it all out better than I ever could. So my heart goes out to everyone affected by the recent Bell layoffs. The gutting of Canadian media is a tragedy. Talented, hardworking people lose their livelihoods. Local coverage suffers. The arts suffer. Journalism suffers. And so much disappears along with those things. People ask me all the time why I left Canadian media. This is the reason. There is nowhere to go in Canada. There is no competition, no innovation, only monopolies who own everything and give you nothing. The media landscape is hostile and shrinking. And if you're in the media and you say something negative about Bell, well, you've just burned one of the only bridges in town. Everyone is afraid of ruining a relationship with a potential employer. 
And what makes the Bell stuff even more enraging is that they hide behind a branded charity initiative for mental health. And this year they received $122 million in pandemic aid, which they used to increase dividend payouts to shareholders. Corporate philanthropy is a smokescreen. The free market is a lie, and it's a lot harder for gutted, poorly paid, understaffed, centralized, and automated media organizations to ask questions about any of it or hold any of those in power accountable. So on that note, I guess I will share my story. Um, so I don't really talk that much about like my personal life um, on the show for a number of reasons. It's not interesting, I would think, to most people. It's not relevant a lot of the time. And also, I just don't really like doing that. But I wanted to talk a little bit about why this show exists and how I got here and sort of my experience with sports media and my experience seeking out mental health care as well, because the two are pretty closely tied into one another. And I think that this is really the only thing that, I, that this story and, and my takes on what happened to me are really the only thing of any sort of meaning or value I can add to this conversation and that hopefully it'll be a springboard for me to sort of make any points I haven't gotten to yet. So I will start this story in media res with a trip I took to the doctors last month. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, I work a service industry job and it can be very physically demanding in some sort of weird and unexpected ways. I'm not working construction, so I'm not just lifting heavy objects every day, but it is a physical job uh, and an exhausting one sometimes. And there's a lot of repetitive motions and a lot of opportunities to tweak things. And so for the past probably three years and having been accelerated in the past couple of months, I've been getting weird back problems. And so I went to the doctor to figure out what was wrong with them. And I went to one of these new urgent care centers that opened up in my neighborhood, uh, which was great because they were able to offer me a lot more time and a lot more resources than I would get at a walk-in. And I spoke to the doctor about the back problems I was ha having, and he ended up asking me about my mental health and if I had been struggling with depression or anxiety at all. And I said, yes, absolutely. And he said that could possibly play a role. Would I be interested in speaking with a mental health worker today? And so I said, yes. And so I talked to the mental health worker for a very long time and ended up with a prescription for duloxetine, which is an SNRI, an antidepressant. Um, and it was really weird because my first reaction was to go like, no, 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 no. This isn't my problem. My problem isn't that I'm depressed. My problem is that I have ADHD and my life sucks and uh, my back is fucked up and I have no money and I'm stressed out all the time. 
and uh, there's a fucking global pandemic that makes me not be able to see any of my friends and makes it impossible for me to like do the things that make me feel human. Like, why am I taking pills to not be depressed when everything is so depressing? And, you know, the mental health worker explains to me that when things go poorly for you for a really long time, you can start to develop neural pathways that immediately take you to a place of what's the point? Everything sucks. Immediately, instead of working through that in a more productive way. And so when she said that, I was like, okay, fine. Um, I guess I'll take these things because that makes sense. And I've been taking them for the past few weeks. And it's been interesting because they're working. I can tell they're working. Um, But it's been illuminating to see what has been improved because for a long time I've sort of said in passing to a lot of people that like I my relationship to depression is not so much that I'm like you know I'm not suicidal I don't walk around wanting to kill myself all the time and I don't even necessarily walk around being miserable all the time I'm just sort of not that attached to being alive. Um, And, you know, I think like if someone asked me, you know, given the choice, like you could go back in time and just not exist. I don't know if I would take them up on that offer. But I also can't say that I really, really would be would would be against it, you know. And after a few weeks on antidepressants, I still feel that way. Um, I haven't magically become more optimistic about the world or about how things are going or about my life. My brain just kind of works a little bit better and doesn't get as bogged down by smaller things. And it's important to me to point this out because there's this attitude I think among people who aren't medicated or maybe don't have mental health struggles that when you get medicated it's going to be like a light switch and all of a sudden it works and life is good but the reality is that like I still am fundamentally in the same place that I was back at the doctor's office when they first gave me these things, which is like, you're going to give me these things without asking me any questions about how I got here or doing anything to improve the circumstances that led to me getting this little bottle of pills. And that just seems so fucking backward to me. So on that note, how did I get here? Well, spare the details of the just sort of general shittiness that sent me down the path of being kind of depressed and having mental health struggles. And just skip ahead to when I went to school, which ties in very nicely to the TSN 1040 and sports media angle of the story. When I was a kid, I guess when I was born, my grandparents never owned a house, um... Didn't really leave much when they died. 
but um, they did put like the entirety of their life savings, which I think was about $8,000, into an RESP. And for those of you who don't know, either because you're not Canadian or because it's not a thing anymore or because you, you know, have no reason to know what it is, an RESP is basically you put money in a mutual fund for the purpose of education for a child, and then the government matches that money. I don't know if it still exists. I feel like it doesn't. <laughs> um, and it was just something that my grandma took advantage of. But basically, um, long story short, they put $8,000 in this fund. Uh, the mutual fund grows that money by about $4,000. And the government of Canada matches the initial $8,000, which gives me about $20,000 to go to school. But the thing about this money is that it's contingent on you going to school, which I never really wanted to do for a number of different reasons. Um, but the way it works is you go to school and you get the full amount of the money. But if you decide not to go to school, then you only get the original principal that was invested. So it was a choice between $8,000 that I could just have for whatever or $20,000 for school. And um, you don't, the weird thing is like, you don't even have to use it for school. You just have to be enrolled in school and then you can use the money for whatever you want. It was very, very weird. Um, and obviously like, I'm very lucky that I got to have this money, but it was, it was a weird situation to be in because I didn't really want to go to school ever. And so I ended up in a position where I was about to turn 25 and the money was about to expire. And so I decided to enroll in Camosun College for a digital communication program because it tied in nicely with what I was already doing, which was being the associate editor at Canucks Army. And it seemed like, you know, maybe this could help me um, start a path on a career for a career in some kind of media. So I enroll in school in September 2017, I believe. And on like November 2nd or 3rd, 2017, my house burns down. <laughs> and uh, that really sucked. I'll spare you the details, but uh, when your house burns down, they give you vouchers for like a three night stay in a hotel and three meals a day at the hotel restaurant and like a $200 gift card to Walmart. And they're like, cool, uh, this will help you not be homeless. Um, so uh, my fiance and I move in with her mother and, you know, basically the four of us her and her daughter and me and my fiance live in her place. She's kind enough to give us the bedroom and she sleeps on the couch, which is still like just a shockingly kind thing to do. And, you know, I try to get through school, which now knowing that I have ADHD feels 
like literally impossible and takes up most of my energy and time. I'm working on weekends, doing school five days a week. And very quickly, I just end up having to use that money on things like housing expenses and buying new things for um, buying new clothes and buying new sheets and linens and appliances because a lot of it ended up getting destroyed in the house fire. And then a lot of the money I just end up spending on, you know, attempting to stay sane while I am losing my mind in college. And it doesn't last uh, more than the single year that I'm enrolled. And so around this time, my dear friend J.D. Burke is hosting the show that would become rink-wide, but I believe at the time was called Nation Network Radio. And he's kind enough to invite me on to co-host when John Abbott has other engagements. And so in 2017, beginning of 2018, I think I probably co-hosted that show like four or five times. Um, And it was a ton of fun. And uh, the TSN studios are like beautiful. um, So swank in comparison to a podcasting setup. Uh, Everyone I met there was super nice. Uh, I got to talk to the Moj, um, who is hilarious, uh, met some producers who do all the real work, by the way, the, the true unsung heroes of sports radio are always the producers. Um, and it goes really well. And JD and I obviously have a chemistry and a rapport. And so when the off season is coming up for reasons I, that I can't really explain because, they're too far in the past, and I was also not super privy to the conversations that were happening. JD looks like he's going to get a bit a bit more creative control over the show, and it looks like, and I hope I'm fucking allowed to tell this story, but I can't see how I wouldn't be because the station doesn't exist anymore. So he is going to get more creative control over the show, and so he wants to bring me in as the co-host on the show uh, for the for the next season, which obviously I'm very excited about. And I felt like, hey, this is finally, you know, like my, this is finally going to be my moment. And um, right in the midst of this happening, uh, my car breaks down permanently. Completely fucking hooped. Done. Uh, No fix. So then Rachel and I scramble around trying to get another car. And I must add, it's incredibly difficult for us to live our lives at this stage without a car because of the fire, because of where we're living, because of where I work. So we scrounge around trying to get another car. And this friend of ours is kind enough to just be like, I have a shitty car. Just take it. Um, So we take the car. We go to get it insured. We drive it off the lot and it breaks down on our way home and it's toast. And now we've lost out on a second car. So... I'm living in temporary housing. I'm not trying to give like a sob story or whatever. I'm just trying to explain how I got here. But I'm living in temporary housing. My house is burnt down. I'm going insane from being in school with 
what I now realize was unmedicated ADHD and my car breaks down and then I get another car and then that car breaks down. And then a couple weeks later, or I mean, it felt like it was on the same fucking day, but I have time blindness. So who knows? I get the news from JD that a new content director has been hired at 1040 and there's changes at the station and the show gets asked axed. Um, and it eventually, thankfully, reemerges as rink wide, but uh, which was good for JD, but bad for me because they wanted someone more experienced in that secondary role as the other mic on the show. The listeners of 1040 get rink wide, and the good people of planet Earth get Roxy Fever. Um, but it was a real watershed moment for me I guess because it made me realize a couple of things one it made me realize that no matter how bad things are they can always get worse um two it revealed how difficult sports media is as a business to get into and how you can have everything kind of just snatched away from you at a moment's notice for no real reason. And it, you know, what, what happened after I took over as the managing editor at Canucks army and watched Ramina Schlag get fired for making uh, a bunch of basically totally correct points about the Canadian military. Um, and then seeing them lay off their entire staff at the beginning of the pandemic and then post help wanted ads like a week later um, really just soured me on the whole sports media experience. And that's kind of how we end up with this show, I guess. And I guess the, the last sort of point that I, that I want to make here is that whether it's mental health or, you know, the success and failure of individual media personalities and how both of those things intersect with sports. Um, all of these things have a real material basis and real material solutions. And if we don't try to fight for those solutions, these problems are only going to get worse. People's lives are going to get more miserable and they're going to have worse mental health. And while it's not the biggest problem that is facing society or the world, we're also rapidly approaching a media and entertainment landscape where the entirety of the content you can consume is a guy pressing a button on an iPad in Toronto, giving you your content pellets. So I guess in closing... I'll just say that I feel terrible for everybody today because I know what this feels like on both sides of the equation. I know what it feels like as somebody who feels like they kind of lost out on an opportunity to do a job that they really love. And I mean, it's a little different, obviously for me because I never actually for me it's more of a the one that got away kind of situation I I never actually had a job 
but I can certainly relate. And then I also know what it feels like as a listener because, hell, two days ago, I was, it was a slow day at work. I had my earbuds in and I'd gotten through my podcast and I was thinking to myself, hey, which show from TSN should I listen to today to kill the last hour of my shift? Should I be looking at Sakaris and Price, Hour One? Should I do Halford and Bruff, Hour Two? There's so many options, you know? Um, and at the end of the day, it was a great station. I love to make fun of the media here as much as anyone else, but everyone I met there were all pretty much the nicest bunch of guys in the world and gals, obviously. I mean, look, if we're being honest, that was probably one area where they could have improved, but hey, now's not the time for that. Um, and the content on the air was pretty great most of the time, too. And uh, it's just a shame, but... The future belongs to podcasters. So stay strong and I'll see you next time. Oh, Marvel, you have done it one more time. You have left me in this balloon. I'm so mad, I'm almost crying. If I had my dad